Hello, everyone. This is Victor Jackson. Welcome to the Bible Centered Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Bible Centered with Victor Jackson. I want to thank each and every one of you once again uh, for your kind uh, words and support. Um, great things have been happening. Uh, those that have subscribed to the podcast, um, the feedback that you've given on the Spanish episode, El, El Principio, and the feedback on reading the book, um, A Word to the Broken, on uh, audio, uh, pages 20 through 29. Um, the feedback has been incredible. And all of the kind ratings and reviews that you guys have given on Amazon to um, A Word to the Broken and lives being changed and wow i mean this is why we do this we do this content for you guys and uh we just appreciate you guys for being a part of the journey uh thank you for your feedback uh thank you for the messages uh it's just an honor to serve you guys let's open up our bibles to the gospel of luke chapter two and we want to deal with some particular nuances that Luke gets into here um, that is not recorded in any other gospel. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 41, it shows Jesus at 12 years old. Now, it's interesting because Luke doesn't... Mm, he, he, he doesn't... It's, it's a very unique gospel. About, about 60% of Luke is, is very unique uh, because how he words things isn't worded in any other gospel the way he words it. He's coming from a physician's point of view. He is detailing the different nuances of sickness. He's, he's saying the person has dropsy and, and he's uh, the one that God inspires to write Luke and Acts. Uh, Luke and Acts were originally, uh, they, they, it's one volume uh, that's written by the same author. God inspired Luke to write it. He's very detailed. He's a researcher. And he, he researches and he mentions an incredible story when Jesus is 12 years old and what happens to him. And because he writes this, it gives us an, a, a, a particular revelation and understanding to what was happening in Jesus' life, in Mary, in his family. It's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful story. Luke chapter 2, verse 41, l- listen to this. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why is thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. He said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not I must be about my father's business? Verse 50, last scripture, And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. This is a, a peculiar story. This is a... This is an incredible, insightful story that I, I want to draw uh, some nuances uh, that maybe we haven't considered because sometimes we lose sight of the humanity of, of Mary and the humanity of Jesus' parents, um, which, we, which is relatable. Their, their lives are relatable to us, and we need to draw some things from their lives that um, are an encouragement. 
uh, to each of us. Number one, Mary, no one, Mary is so peculiar, uh, so unique, because Mary was entrusted with something from God that he would never trust anybody else with. She was entrusted with something not once in a lifetime, but something once in time. Now, it's, it's amazing when it's great when someone does something that can only be done once in a lifetime, but it's something else when you're trusted with something that can only be done once in time. God can only be birthed once. And God chose Mary as the conduit, as the vehicle, as the channel for him to become flesh. And that is that is a peculiar that that is a peculiar thing because no one in the world could ever say a little girl growing up, I want to be like Mary when I grow up. And you almost just want to be like, uh, yeah, that's not happening. She blazed the trail that no one could follow. She did something that can never be done before and can never be done again. That has never been done before and can never be done again. It's interesting when you consider it because you have to think about how she's trying to process an angel visiting her saying, that Emmanuel, God with us, wants to be uh, born into the world using her body as a conduit, the virgin birth. It's 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 a miraculous, uh, outstanding uh, story because Mary has to grasp and understand the the magnitude of what's happening and it's difficult for her finite mind to understand it because in ecclesiastes it says that there's nothing new under the sun and that there's nothing new under the sun and 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 that that has become people's staple scripture you know to remain comfortable there's nothing new under the sun, Brother Jackson. Slow down. There's nothing new under the sun. But I remind you that that scripture was written before the virgin birth. And the virgin birth had never happened before and can never happen again. So, so there's nothing new under the sun until the spirit gets involved. And when the spirit gets involved, it has the ability to produce events that no one has ever seen before. And Mary tells the angel, the angel says, hey, you're going to be, you know, you're favored and blessed. And Mary says, listen, how how am I going to have a child seeing I know not a man? And the angel says, the power of the highest shall overshadow you. She said, this is how you're going to accomplish God's will for your life. God's spirit is going to overshadow you and it's going to produce an event that no one has ever seen before. There's something powerful about following God where God does stuff that he's just never done before. And it's amazing how people can't believe for something they've never seen before. But hey, there's Facebook. Facebook didn't exist 30 years ago. That's something the world's never seen before, but it's here, isn't it? No one's ever seen Twitter before. No one's ever seen um, Instagram before. No one's ever seen the internet before, but we're here. We're here, aren't we? How much more whenever you yield your life to God, he is able to do something, bring forth the promise that no one has ever seen before. If we yield to his spirit, his spirit has the ability to produce things that no one has ever seen before.
while I'm on that subject, because I, I, I'm thinking about the laws of inspiration. And there are people that say that inspiration comes from many influences, but they said, but anointing only comes from God. I would argue that inspiration, all inspiration comes from God. Here's why. There's a scripture in the Old Testament that talks about God riding with his angels on chariots, on a chariot. The God is riding. There was a description of God uh, riding on a chariot. My question is this, that the chariot, did it start in heaven or did it start on the earth? You you guys got to listen to this. Where did the chariot start? Because the writer said that there, that God is on, on the chariot in heaven. My question is, where did the inspiration of the chariot come from? Did it start in heaven or did it start on earth? It started in heaven. The concept of the chariot started in heaven, but what God did is he whispered inspiration to man. My word. And where God intended for the chariot to be designed to carry holiness, listen, Man got the inspiration of the chariot and and his heart bent the inspiration toward warfare where the chariot was used for warfare. Are you getting it? Where God offers the inspiration, but man's heart dictates whether it goes towards the good or evil. But the concept of the chariot started in heaven. It didn't start in earth. But by the time man got it, his heart bent it toward something that destroys lives instead of sanctifies lives. So God is the author of inspiration, but man's heart can bend it where it wills, whether toward good or toward evil. But God whispers ideas. He whispers concepts. He whispers strategies. He whispers inspiration into man. He whispers songs. He whispers books. He whispers into the ear of man. And man's heart determines whether that goes towards the betterment of humanity or it goes towards the destruction of humanity. Now, if the chariot began in heaven, and and, and, I, and I'm going somewhere, guys. Just 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 hold on. If the chariot began in heaven, then man gets the inspiration and makes the chariot. Listen, where the chariot is, where you get the word kairos, c a r r u s, kairos. Listen, that's where you get the word carriage. The inspiration of a carriage came from the chariot. And the inspiration of the chariot came from God. Now, so when man gets this inspiration of the chariot, now it goes back into the betterment of humanity from holiness to warfare, now to transportation in a carriage, Kairos. The carriage came from the chariot, and the chariot came from God. Now listen, watch, how, watch this trickle down, because we're talking about new things happening. And, and when you understand that God is in all space and time, he's in the present, the past, and the future all at the same time. 
And so God just does what he wants when he wants. There's nothing new under the sun to him, but there's a lot of new stuff under the sun to us. But with his spirit, he's able to do a lot of new things. Now catch this inspiration. This is, this is, this is powerful. He inspires the chariot and the chariot inspires the carriage, the kairos, kairos, chariot, kairos, carriage. And it's from the carriage you get the inspiration of the car. Kairos, C-A-R-R-U-S. So they dropped off the R-U-S and said car. The inspiration from the car came from the carriage, which came from the chariot, which came from God. God is incredible. He just does what he wants when he wants it. you never seen it before? Okay, Joshua, tell the sun to stand still and the moon to stand still too. You ever seen that before, have you? That looks like something new under the sun, doesn't it? See, when God's involved, he has the ability to interrupt nature and interrupt whatever processes that he wants to interrupt. As C.S. Lewis said, he said, a, a miracle is an interruption of nature. God just likes stepping down into history and doing what he wants when he wants it, when he wants to. And so with this podcast, what, what, what we are striving to enlighten is that God can do anything. He doesn't ask for permission. He is self-sufficient with no need for man. He does what he wants when he wants to do it. So if God ever gives you a word, I don't care how impossible it looks for that word to be fulfilled, he is able to make it happen. He is sovereign. We've got to get back to the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Only God can say, hey, Joseph, you're gonna, your dreams, this is going to be your dream. This is going to happen. And then Joseph goes into a pit and goes into Potiphar's house and then goes into prison. And then he goes in the palace and God's like, hey, told you. <laughs> like, like these are impossible circumstances. Now he's second in command to Pharaoh. Look at his journey to get there. David's hiding in caves. He's a, he said there's a step between me and death, but, but the sovereignty of God is so great, he's able to step in at any time and do what he wants to do no matter how it looks. No matter how your life looks, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter what frailties, no matter what has gone on in your life where you feel like your time has passed, as long as you have God, God can interrupt at any time and bring fulfillment. It is impossible for God to lie. So if God gave you a word, hold on to it. It's going to come to pass, no matter how impossible it looks. But, but we have to wrestle with this. We have to struggle with this because because uh, in, in this episode, I'm, I'm talking about promises. And the thing about a promise, one of the things I mentioned in the book is that the philosopher Plato had a theory, and the theory was that matter is susceptible to decaying, but an idea can remain perfect. In other words, our bodies are subject to feelings, emotions, and surroundings. But the truth of 2 plus 2 equals 4 is constant. Meaning, no matter if I'm rich or poor, 2 plus 2 will always equal 4. No matter if, 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 if I'm poor, you're rich, you have a family member that's middle class, if all of us are asked the same question, what's two plus two, we would all answer four. Why? Because the truth is not predicated on my circumstances. I want you to hear this concept here. So if, if, I'm, if I'm on my deathbed and I, I, I am in the worst circumstance of my life and my wife comes up to me, hey, babe, I know you're down. I know it's bad, but what's two plus two? I'm not going to look at her and say, oh, baby, I just, uh, I'm just hurting so bad. I, I think it's five. No, I would answer four because the truth is not predicated by my circumstances. No matter how bad my circumstances are, the truth does not change. So if I'm on my deathbed and my wife comes up to me and says, hey, babe, 
Is God a healer? Two plus two equals four. He's still a healer. He's still a provider. He's still my savior. He still loves me. He still cares for me. And no matter how bad my circumstance is, that truth will never change. This is what Paul said. What if some do not believe? Does that make the truth of God of none effect? He said, yea, let God be true and every man be a liar. Two plus two just equals four. No matter if I feel his presence or not, he's with me. No matter if he heals me or not, he's still a healer. My circumstances do not change his identity. Now, we have to take that with truth. We also have to take that with promises. Because the, my promises, when God gives me a promise, it's not predicated on perfect circumstances. See, when God gives you a promise, he considers the end of your life. See, we're in time, but he's in eternity. When God gives a promise, he sees your entire life, and he starts from the end all the way to when you take your first breath. And so he considers all of your mistakes in your life. He considers all of your failures, all of your stumbling blocks. He considers it before he gives you the promise. So if, he, if the promise started in eternity, then time cannot nullify it. Oh, are you getting this? Your promise is in the presence of God. The promises of God are in him. Yea and amen. The promises of God are in his presence. And so that means time can't access it, and that means the devil can't access it. For In order for the devil to attack your promise, he would have to attack God, and we know he won't do that. So because he knows he can't attack the promise from God, what he'll do is he'll attack the promise holder to make you willingly abort the promise. Where the circumstances are so bad, you say, I guess it's not true. Because he knows he can't change the promise, but he tries to go through the vessel that is holding the promise and make you so discouraged and so anxious and so depressed and so impatient that you willingly abort the promise. That's what he does because he can't attack God. But if God gives you a promise, he can, intends for it to come to pass. No matter how long you've been waiting, no matter how bad it is, no matter how tough it is, he intends to bring it to pass. And no matter how contrary your circumstances in life look right now, he intends to bring the promise to pass. So we have to explore this concept of the, the, the sovereignty of God and how the truth of two plus two equals four is constant. And there's something about God that he is, he is constant. If he gives you a word, he's not teasing you with it. When he gives you a promise, he considers the end of your life. He doesn't, he doesn't start from the beginning to the end. He starts from the end to the beginning. As a matter of fact, the first language of God mentioned in Scripture is Hebrew. And Hebrew is written from right to left, not left to right. If you want to read a Hebrew book, you got to go to the back of the book. That's the language of God. He starts from the back of the book, and he moves all the way to your birth, all the way to your parents' meeting, all the way to your great-grandparents' meeting, all the way to your great-great-grandparents' meeting. He, he considers all of history whenever he gives you a promise. He is faithful. He is just. He is amazing. And so this idea of promises and God being willing to overcome insurmountable odds to bring it to pass. You know, we talked about inspiration and how God is the author of inspiration. So what God does is he whispers, hey, I want community. I want the whole world to have community. And he whispers that idea and Mark Zuckerberg catches it. Are you getting it? Are you getting it? Mark Zuckerberg catches that inspiration and gets the idea for Facebook to connect the entire world. Now his heart bends whether that goes good or towards bad. 
but the inspiration came from God. But his heart dictates where that inspiration uh, shows up. Oh, it's so powerful. God is so good. I know this is more of a this is more of a philosophical episode today, but 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 we have to get back to that our promises are not in man's hands. That that God can fulfill his word if we walk with him and trust him. He's able to fulfill his word. And this is what this podcast is all about. So <clears throat> forgive me for taking time getting into this concept with Mary. But but this is something to wrestle with because we talk about the virgin birth like it's not a big deal, but this is a big deal, guys. This is this is something unbelievable because the thing about God giving promises is that when God gives a promise, he intends for that promise to wreck your life. It, <laughs> the, the promise will, will wreck how you think. It will wreck your relationships. It will change everything about you. Because Mary had been planning her wedding for a year. Mary and Joseph were betrothed. The betrothal process lasted a year. And as Joseph is working with Mary's dad for the dowry, and as her possessions are being transferred over to him, that's how it was in the ancient Near Eastern custom, they're in that process. Now, a betrothal, it was legally binding that even though they weren't married yet, it was legally binding, meaning if you interrupt the betrothal, it's considered a divorce. She had been planning her wedding for a year. Imagine Mary picking out her the colors for her wedding. What color you want, Mary? Oh, I'm thinking of this. I'm thinking of that. Mary, can I be your maid of honor? Girl, you know you're going to be my maid of honor. You, We cousins. We go all the way back. Can I be your bridesmaid? You already know. You, you've always been there for me. But then all of a sudden, an angel shows up with the promise. And that promise wrecked her life. It changed everything. It changed the dynamics of her relationships. It changed the dynamics of her friendships. It changed everything about it. See, when God gives a promise, he intends for your life to conform to that promise. Ooh, and you're going to look so different to everybody. Mary, you're, you're pregnant. Yeah, yeah, an angel came and visited me. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? She wasn't counting on being rejected. She wasn't in counting on the, the possibility of Joseph divorcing her. See, when God gives a promise, we don't get to dictate the parameters in which the promise is fulfilled or how it comes to pass. We just have to adapt our lives accordingly and make space for the promise. Now, this promise wrecks her life. She's entrusted with something that has never happened before. It can never happen again. Something not once in a lifetime, but something once in time. Something profound. And when God gives you a promise that no one understands, the first thing that people around you will do will question whether it's legitimate. That's what they did with Mary. She had a promise from God, the virgin birth. She has the promise in her womb. And the first thing people around her said is illegitimate. Because they've never seen it before, they question its legitimacy. They were like, man, she's too anointed. Like, like there must be some sin somewhere. She's, she's walking with too much glory. Like, there must be some sin. See, 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 there's people that, 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 that because they can't understand the weight of the promise that's working in you and the greatness that's in you, they begin to project upon you. Like, oh, yeah, they, they singing too good. So something must be off in their personal life. And they, oh, he, he preaching too good. She, she's, she's too anointed. She's, she's writing too good. She, he, he, he's playing that instrument too well. There must be some sense somewhere. 
They question the legitimacy of the promise. And they can't figure out. They can't figure it out. And they, and they won't be able to figure it out until they get in the spirit and hear the whisper of God. See, Mary could not relate to the Jewish customs of her past when she had this promise. She couldn't relate to the Jewish customs of the past, and she couldn't relate to anybody in the future because nobody from the past or the future had ever had this type of promise. So she was forced to rely on the Spirit and hear the Spirit give her instructions on how to carry that gift. Hear the Spirit give her instructions on how to walk in that gift. Hear the Spirit give her instructions on how to live with that promise. So, so we have to, we have to, we have to investigate this because this is a profound, this is a profound story. She, the angel says, listen, you know, you're, you're, you're favored and, and you're blessed and, and, she says, how can this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Said, that thing that's in you is going to be called the, the Son of God. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, and Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Now, listen, Mary didn't even understand what this angel was telling her. But she was so yielded, she said, be it unto me according to thy word. She said, I don't understand it, Lord, but I say yes. I, I, don't, I don't get how you're going to do it, but be it unto me according to thy word. You know what that tells me? That tells me that you can receive in your spirit what your mind can't comprehend. I'm y'all going to make me preach on this podcast today. I said, you can receive in your spirit what your mind can't fully comprehend. Mary didn't understand how in the world she's going to be pregnant without knowing a man. And yet she says, be it unto me according to thy word. She received in her spirit something her mind couldn't fully comprehend. See, some people, they abort the promises of God because they want to understand it first before they obey. Before I say yes, I need step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, step six, six, seven. I need A, B, C, D, and then I'll obey because they want to receive it in their mind first before they obey, but it's not how it works. You receive it in the spirit first. This is why Paul said to the church in Thessalonica, he said, I want God to sanctify you wholly through your spirit, soul, and body. He didn't say body, soul, and spirit. He said spirit, soul, and body. When you receive a word from God, when you receive a promise, the first place it comes is into your spirit. And after it resides in your spirit, all of a sudden it begins to trickle down into the soul. The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. When you receive a promise in your spirit, what happens is over time as it's nestled in your spirit, it begins to persuade the mind and it begins to persuade the will and it begins to persuade the emotions. And then after it persuades the mind, will, and the emotions, it begins to manifest externally out of your body. But some people want the mind to know it first before they start taking steps of obedience. See, Abraham didn't understand how God was going to do it, but he had a word in his spirit, so he started walking in that calling. And after 25 years, God fulfilled it. There was a manifestation, but it starts in the spirit and then the soul and then the body. But some people discount the promise because they don't know how it's going to happen. You don't know how your son's coming back to God. They're on drugs right now. You don't know how your daughter's coming back to God. 
She, she's in a toxic relationship right now. You don't know how you're ever going to have a ministry. Look at you right now. You've been, you, 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 you may have been divorced. You may have had trauma. You may, you may have gone through all these things. And so it, it, the mind says it's impossible. But when the mind says it's impossible, God's spirit is speaking to your spirit saying, if you will believe, all things are possible. The Bible says that Abraham believed the Lord and God imputed righteousness unto him. See, stop thinking about what you're going to do to make it happen and just believe and God will impart righteousness to you if you just believe what he says. So you just got to say, I don't understand how you're going to do it, Lord, but be it unto me according to thy word. Have your way in me. Do what you got to do. Open the doors you got to open. I don't understand how you're going to do it. I'm in a rough situation. My family's in a rough situation. My job's in a rough situation, but be it unto me according to thy word. And that's what she did. She said yes to the unknown. My word, the Holy Ghost is ministering to somebody listening to say yes to the unknown. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm saying yes to the unknown. And so she couldn't relate to the Jewish custom of the past or anyone in the future. She had to get in the spirit and hear what God had for her. And so she gets this promise. Listen, and when she gets this promise, all of a sudden, immediately confirmation starts showing up. All of a sudden, Joseph's having dreams. Now, all of a sudden, Elizabeth's pregnant. Now, all of a sudden, she has the promise, and now the wise men come from the east. And now the angels are speaking over the baby. And now the shepherds come and give offerings. Look at all these confirmations that happen immediately after she received the promise from God. Now, all of a sudden, Anna is worshiping the baby in the temple. Simeon is worshiping the baby in the temple. All of these confirmations are showing up. Now Herod is mad. Herod's trying to kill the baby. All of a sudden, the promise has gotten hell's attention. All of these confirmations are happening immediately after she gets the promise. Isn't that amazing when you get a promise, how these confirmations starts showing up? You're in the grocery store and someone tells you, hey, I don't know who you are, but but God is speaking to me to tell you that this is going to happen and this is going to happen. And, 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 and all these confirmations start showing up immediately after you get a promise and you know it's God. But the next time we hear from Jesus, listen, this is what this podcast episode is all about. The next time she, we hear of Jesus, he's 12 years old. There is a 10-year gap where nothing happens. For 10 years, there's no angels that are visiting. 10 years, there are no confirmations that are coming. 10 years is just silence. God is not speaking. 10 years, nothing is happening. And, and it looks like the promise isn't coming to pass. Now, it's, you're looking crazy for holding on to the promise. 10 years, nothing happens. And you know what happens? You get discouraged. Because you get a promise. And for two years, it's nonstop confirmations. But now for 10 years, nothing happens. And you begin to question whether you really heard from God. You begin to question if it's really going to happen. You begin to question and doubt because this promise doesn't look like it's going to happen. There's no evidence that it's going to happen. And you're looking crazy for holding on to it. Have you ever been there? 10 years, listen, this is God in the flesh. And for 10 years, he looks completely normal. 10 years, he, he shows no sign of being God. You don't see his signs of being God until he's 30 
after he's baptized. So for 10 years, Jesus looks completely normal. Remember, he's fully God and fully man. He is the theanthropos, theo, God, anthropos, man, the God-man, fully God and fully man. Yet for 30 years, he shows no sign of divinity. My, 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 my. 10 years, Jesus looks like the other kids. Jesus' nose is running with boogers just like the other kids. Jesus is is stumbling and falling just like the other kids. The, The promise looks completely normal. She was expecting Jesus to come out of the womb and say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. But you know what he comes out of the womb saying? Wah. Come on, Jesus prophesied. Wah. She wasn't expecting that she had a responsibility to nurture the miracle. My, 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 my. She, she wasn't expecting that she had to nurture the miracle. She's expecting immediate results. She's expecting Jesus to show his divinity immediately because she's got a promise from God that this is the son of God. This is Emmanuel, God with us. But he shows no sign of being that for 10 years and heaven is silent. She's having Jesus race the other kids. No, don't worry, y'all. He's God. He's God. Go ahead, race him. On your mark, get set, go. Here comes Jesus coming in last place. They're mocking her. They're mocking her. As a matter of fact, she was expecting Jesus. You know, Jesus is is 10 years old. He's in the synagogues. Hear this. He's in synagogues hearing the rabbis, the teachers, hearing them teach him about the word that he is. Jesus is the word made flesh. He's hearing rabbis teach him about the word that he is. And he actually could have said, he says, he could have said, actually, that's not what I meant when I wrote that. And you're dealing with an insecurity issue. I dealt with this with your great, great grandfather. But Jesus is taking notes just like the other kids. He's looking completely normal. He has the power over all gravity. If they had a fishing tournament, Jesus would have won every time because he'd have called the fish by name to come to his hook. But Jesus is leaving there not catching any fish. Not allowed to operate in that divinity until he's baptized at 30. He looks completely normal. Have you ever obeyed God and tried to walk in the promise and it seemed like nothing changed, nothing happened? Remember, God told me to give up basketball. I'm going to preach his gospel to the nations. I give it up, and I'm expecting doors to immediately open. But guess what? Nothing happened. And for three years, I was living with a prophecy without any evidence. There's no evidence of God doing what he said he's going to do. And it's easy to get discouraged when you've been waiting on a promise for a long time. I'm speaking to people that have been waiting for a promise for a long time. You've been waiting for a promise for for a long time. And you're looking crazy for holding on to it. Yeah, yeah, my son is going to pray through. God's going to use him. And, and, and you keep seeing the Instagram updates. He's, he's on drugs in the club. You, you keep prophesying and saying, God, God I'm not going to be single. I'm not going to be single. And you're getting older in age and and you're still single, and you feel crazy for holding on to a promise. You have this dream, you have these big dreams, and for 10 years, it's just silence. Nothing has happened. Mary is dealing with this. You see how we relate to Mary? This is why this, is what, why this podcast exists. It's to bring a relatability to the people of the Word of God, the people in the Word of God. She is discouraged. Because for 10 years, nothing happens. And 
Jesus looks like all the other kids. He looks like a common child. And now we go to the text in Luke chapter 2, verse 41, that now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. What, what Luke is writing here is that, is that Mary and Joseph were faithful. They were consistent. They came to the Passover every year. These were God-fearing uh, people. Verse 42, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. Listen, they are being faithful. They're coming to church every, every week. They're coming to the synagogue. They're going to Jerusalem. They're going to the Passover. They're being faithful, but hear me. But in the process of faithfulness, they lost Jesus. I'm going to say this again. In the process of faithfulness, they lost the promise. The mundane, day-to-day, -day, my word, no miracles happening, no, no, no manifestation of the promise. In the process of, of the day-to-day -day mundane, they lost the promise. The promise got buried where they're still faithful, they still worship, they still give, they still love people, but somewhere in the day-to-day, -day, they lost the sparkle in their eye believing God for the promise. Who am I talking to on here that loves God with all your heart? You show up faithfully to church, you're, 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 you're an amazing Christian, but somewhere you stop believing in you having a ministry. Somewhere you stop believing of your, your son coming home, your daughter coming home. Somewhere you stop believing of God putting the family back together. Somewhere you stop believing for the miracles to take place in your body. Somewhere you stop believing. Yes, you're faithful. Yes, you show up all the time. But somewhere the promise got buried and it got lost in the process of faithfulness. Mary and Joseph, they, they were consistent. They loved God with everything in them. But after 10 years of silence, no angels showing up, no demonic resistance, no words of encouragement, no words of confirmation happening, nothing happening for 10 years. The promise had become so common that they lost it in the journey of faithfulness. The Bible says that Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. Wow, they lost Jesus while being faithful. Mm. Here it is, verse 44. But they supposing him to have been in the company when a day's journey, wow. They, Jesus was so common that he didn't even travel with his family. The Bible says that they supposing him to have been in the company. That word supposing in the Greek, it means that the custom, it was the custom. The custom was that Jesus never traveled with family. He always traveled with the company. If they were still persuaded that Jesus was the promise, that he was God in the flesh, they would not let him out of their eyesight. But now they're putting him away as if he's the disappointment. He's common. He's, he's ordinary. He shows no sign of fulfillment. So let's put him back in the company. They supposing him to be in the company. They went a day's journey without knowing that he was gone. Here's my question. Now we got to relate here. Who loses their child for a day and doesn't notice? They went a day's journey without recognizing Jesus' absence. They went a day's journey without recognizing that the promise was gone. Who loses their child for a day and doesn't notice? It's like me going, going to Walmart with my son, James Asher. And we go to Walmart, and whenever we get to Walmart, I tell him to go get him some Skittles. He go gets him some Skittles. All of a sudden, I check, I, I check out of, of Walmart I look behind me. He's not there. I don't notice he's gone. 
I go to my vehicle. I look at the empty car seat in the back. I still don't notice he's gone. I drive home that afternoon to go and eat lunch with my wife. I still don't notice he's gone. I eat dinner with my wife that evening. I still don't notice James Asher is gone. Me and my wife, we go to bed. We look at his room. It's an empty bed. We still don't notice he's gone. We go to bed, wake up in the morning, eat breakfast. Me and my wife, we still don't notice he's gone. But around lunchtime, I realize, hold on, guys. Where's James Asher? For 24 hours, they didn't even know he was gone. It's because his presence had become so common. He was so ordinary. They didn't even recognize if he was there or not. Because 10 years, he's shown no evidence of being God. 10 years, he's shown no evidence of the dream coming to pass. 24 hours, they don't even recognize he's gone. And then finally, the Bible says they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. They, they sought him among their family. They sought him among their brothers and sisters. And the first thing that you do whenever you can't find your promise is you start searching, you start talking to your brothers and sisters to see if they have your promise. You're in a worship service and you kind of go and worship next to them and you see them breaking through and crying and praying with all their might. So you kind of whisper over to them and say, hey, uh, you got a word? You got a word of confirmation? And they're like, uh-uh. When you can't find your promise among your kinfolk, then you go to the acquaintance. The acquaintance is the guest. You go to the new people. And you see them praying and going after God and worshiping radically. You go up to them and you kind of whisper, hey, you, you, you got a word of confirmation? And they're like, uh-uh. The Bible says, verse 45, and when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. When you can't find your promise, you got to go back to the place that you lost it. Where did you lose it? Was it when you went through a divorce? Go back to that place, pick up your promise and say, God's not done with me. When did you lose your promise? Was it when was it was it when you lost your home? You go back to that place in your mind and you pick up your promise and you say God is not done with me. When did you lose that promise? Was it when was it when the kids went through the bad season? Was it when you went through a season of depression? You take a trip back down memory lane and go back and say devil, I'm not losing my promise. I'm not throwing, I'm not giving up on my promise. I'm picking it up. God's not done with me. Go back to that place in your mind. Go back to the last place that you lost it and tell the devil I'm picking up my promise again. They went back to Jerusalem. And it came to pass that after three days, they found them in the temple, sitting in the midst of doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished. Do you see what happens? What happens is when a promise becomes common to you, you don't realize that it's astonishing to others. The thing that has become common to you is astonishing to others. You see, it's become common to you. You know, you go through adversity. It's not a big deal. You're an overcoming. You're, you're an overcomer. You're victorious. You, you know, you, you proclaim the victory. It, it's not a big deal with all the stuff you go through. You just overcome. That's just, you don't, you don't complain. You just get through it. It's common to you, but to the world, they look at what you survived and what you've been through. And they are astonished and they're like, how in the world do you still have a smile? Do you still have joy that you still love God with all that you went through? They're astonished at what has become common to you. They're astonished. Verse 47, and all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. Look at that. You see, for 10 years, Jesus shows no sign of divinity, no sign of revelation, no sign of wisdom. But now they see him operating and they're like, man, look at little Jesus go. Where's that been for the past 10 years? Even they're amazed. Listen, and this is, this is the whole message of this podcast because we relate with Mary here. Mary says, 
his mother said unto them, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Here's the whole issue. Here's where we see the humanity of Mary. Here's the problem. She says, Behold, your father and I have sought thee sorrowing. She called Joseph Jesus' father. That was the ultimate form of unbelief. Because anytime someone called Joseph Jesus' father, it was always in a spirit of unbelief to discredit his ministry. Is not this Joseph's son? Is not this the carpenter's son? It was always a way to discredit his ministry. But now the miracle, God did the miracle through Mary, but now it's been 10 long years of waiting for the miracle to come to pass. She doubts and says, Joseph is your father. Maybe it was all a dream. Maybe it was all a mistake. Maybe maybe it was just in my mind. Maybe it was just a moment. Maybe, maybe, maybe Joseph is your father. You hear the unbelief and the doubt creeping into her voice as she says, Joseph is your father. Joseph is your father. And even the scripture says, they would say, Joseph and his mother. They never would call, the scriptures don't call Joseph Jesus' father. They would say, Joseph, as they supposed, was his father. But now the person that God entrusts with the promise is in such a state of discouragement as after 10 long years of no evidence and nothing happened, she says, Joseph is your dad. And look how Jesus responds in verse 49. Verse 49, and he said unto them, how is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not I must be about my father's business? Oh my, do you, do you understand what happens? She says, Joseph is your father. And he says, I'm about my father's business. She's discouraged. No, Joseph's your father. Jesus says, no, I'm about my father's business. He said, I didn't come from earth. I came from heaven. You know what he was saying? The miracle's still alive. No matter how long you've been waiting, the miracle's still alive. No matter how much you've gone through, the miracle's still alive. No matter how deep the valley has been, he said, the miracle's still alive. No matter how much they rejected you and tried to throw you away, the miracle is still alive. No matter how much you wept in the midnight hour, the miracle is still alive. No matter matter how much pain your family has been through, no matter how many jobs you've lost, no matter how many businesses have failed, no matter how many churches have tried to throw you away, God said, the miracle is still alive. And he said, I will not accept a false narrative about me. You have accepted a false narrative about your promise because it's easier to live with a false narrative than to live with the truth. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. It is tougher to hope than it is to give up. I'm talking to people that are listening on this podcast that it's been easier for you to just give up on the promise because you have wept in the midnight hour holding on to hope, struggling with hope, my God, but you have been so disappointed because you've hoped so much, but nothing has happened. So it's just easier for you to give up and accept the false narrative. But I've come to tell you that those narratives that you've spoken over your life are not true and that hope is still alive. And as the scripture states that when a tree is cut down, oh, I'm going to talk to somebody that when a tree is cut down at the scent of water, it buds again. Oh, I'm going to talk. There is a scent of water coming across from this podcast that you have cut yourself down and accepted the narrative that you'll never grow again. But as I am speaking, I can see the buds beginning to grow around your life and ministry. I can see the buds of hope growing around your family. I can see the buds of faith and the buds of love and the buds of destiny growing around that tree that was cut down. God is not done with you. Put away the false narratives. Joseph is not my father. I've been about my father's business. The miracle is still alive, but it's been 10 years. It's still alive. 
but it's been 25 years, it's still alive. But it's been 30 years, it's still alive. God wasn't teasing you when he gave you a promise. He wasn't joking with you when he gave you a destiny. He wasn't teasing with you when he said that he would do what he said he's going to do. She wanted to accept the false narrative and said, Joseph's your father. And Jesus says, no, I'm about my father's business. It was really like a rebuke. It's like, hey, everything that those angels spoke to you, it's still alive. Somewhere, whenever he said, my father's business, all of a sudden, her mind began to go back to seeing him in that manger. Her mind began to go back to whenever she heard the angel's voice for the first time. Her mind began to go back whenever uh, John leapt in Elizabeth's womb. Her, her mind began to go back to the wise men coming from the east. Her mind began to go back hearing Anna and hearing Simeon. Her mind began to go back and she began to remember and she began to ponder these things in her heart. Wow. 10 years, nothing happened, but Jesus gives a reminder when he's 12 years old that it's still alive. And she had to hear these words from Jesus because there would be another 18 years of waiting before Jesus would operate in his ministry at, at 30. 18 years now, she's waiting another 18 years for him to operate in the promise. But it's different this time because she's not waiting with discouragement. Now she's waiting with expectation. She sees his voice begin to mature. She kind of looks and I, is this it? Is this it? He's 25 and she sees the boldness and sees him walking differently. She's wondering, is this it? Is this it? She's not waiting in discouragement anymore. Now she's waiting with expectation. So much expectation that now he's 30 and he gets baptized. And now the Bible says that there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And at this wedding in Cana of Galilee, they ran out of wine. And she goes to Jesus and says, hey, they ran out of wine. And Jesus says, woman, what, what have I to do with thee? My hour is not yet come. But you know how Mary responded? Mary said to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, do it. You know what she was saying within herself? I refuse to doubt him again. Ooh. I refuse to doubt him again. Go, go, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And Jesus did his first miracle at Cana of Galilee. And his mom was a part as a help, as a provoker of that miracle because she refused to doubt him again. It's going to happen. It shall come to pass. I said, it shall come to pass. The promise shall come to pass. He is sovereign. You can say, I don't know how it's going to happen, but be it unto me according to thy word. It's going to happen. I may have to endure rejection. People may not understand me, but I refuse to doubt him again. Oh, my, 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 my. It shall come to pass. A lot of people love quoting Joel chapter 2, verse 28, where he says, It shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Everyone, everyone speaks about that scripture, that it shall come to pass, but they don't understand the historical context in which Joel was prophesying. Because in that time, there was a, a plague. There was locusts. There was a famine. The locusts came and ate up everything. They had no fruit. They had no food. The locusts came to eat up everything. And while there are locusts on his hands and on his feet and on his clothes, he is prophesying, it shall come to pass. Do you understand? Do you understand? He's still prophesying while he has nothing to eat. While there's a plague of locusts eating up everything and the palmer worm and the cake worm, it's eating up everything. They, they're in a famine. 
And while they're in a famine, while locusts are flying in front of him and crawling on his body, he says, it shall come to pass. And I came to give somebody a word that's listening. No matter how contrary the circumstances are, you may have locusts around you. You may have all types of stuff around you that's eating up everything. I come to speak to you in the Holy Ghost. It shall come to pass. God's going to fulfill his word. No matter how contrary it is, God is going to fulfill his word in your life. He is sovereign. He is God. He is God. And as I spoke to, about it again, that he is self-sufficient. He, in his good pleasure, wants to do a work for us. But there's something about the waiting season that provokes character. There's something about the waiting season that, that, that teaches you an, an unparalleled trust where it has to happen. I got to such a desperation and prayer to God that I said, God, it has to happen. When nothing was happening for three years, I got after God in prayer and said, God, it has to happen. And he began to change my speech. And I'll never forget that prayer meeting when, I, when nothing was happening and I was in a downtime and I was hurting and I was struggling. <laughs> oh, God. And I remember praying. I said, God, it has to happen. You said it would happen. It has to happen. And I'll never forget it. It felt like, like an angel picked up a hot coal and put it on my mouth and said, these are the words of God that you're going to speak to this generation. And from that moment till now, God has given me a voice to speak. And I'm speaking right now with the hot coals off the altar, speaking to somebody that it shall come to pass. God in heaven. I feel the Holy Ghost talking. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I love Hosea. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, I'm speaking this because there's somebody on here that feels like giving up. There's somebody on here that's thrown in the towel. There's somebody on here that has lost hope, that's been battling suicidal thoughts. I'm trying to tell you, it's gonna, God's word is going to come to pass in your life. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but his word shall never pass away. Oh, God. So shall my word be which goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I have sent it. God will not receive his word void. It's going to accomplish, and it's not just going to accomplish. It's going to prosper. God's going to prosper you. Hold on. Let us receive inspiration from Mary's story. That, that, that she went through the discouragement of 10 years, nothing happening. And she tried to accept the false narrative as if Joseph was Jesus' father. But then J Jesus had to remind her that I'm about my father's business. Don't accept the false narrative. Don't compromise the promise. Don't compromise the dream. Don't settle for less. Go after it. Go after it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. God's hand even now is reaching upon you and your family and giving you a word of comfort. It shall come to pass. It shall come to pass. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, for more information, you can follow my social media page, Victor M. Jackson, or you can come visit us in Orlando, Florida at Bible Center of Orlando. Thank you for joining us. God bless.